But yet God calls us from where we are to where we're, where we're supposed to be. He's calling us out from something and into something. And we can stay the same if we want to, or we can be transformed and become who we're created to be. And the choice is ours, right? And so you know, we have to have faith in order to, be, to, to move forward. And that's one of the ideas even with life. Life is moving, is it not? Which way is life moving? <laughs> that's right. Sometimes it feels like it's moving sideways. Sometimes it feels like it's moving up and down, but it never moves backwards. And life never stops. It is always, always moving. Philippians 3.12 says this. Paul's writing to this church at Philippi, these Christians, and he's saying, listen, I'm not saying I've got it all figured out or that I've already reached perfection. He's trying to call them into something. He's calling them into their identity in Christ. He's calling them in and calling them out of their old ways and into a life that follows Jesus. And he's saying, listen, I'm talking to you not as somebody who's got this figured out, but I'm talking to you from somebody who's on, a move, who's on the move. He says, one thing I do, I press on to possess the perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed for me. In other words, Jesus has bought for us and renewed for us a destiny and a purpose. And he says, no, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it, but I focus on one thing. Everybody say this. I forget the past and I look forward to what is ahead. And this is a big one. Say, I press. And that's what it looks like. You've got to press. I press on to reach the end of the race and to achieve the heavenly prize for which Christ Jesus is calling. Every person is moving to move forward. We have to move forward. This is something that's unique to human beings. Animals don't possess this. Human beings have the, have the ability. She's happy. Yeah. Human beings have the, have the ability to remember the past. That's called memory. We have the ability to imagine the future. That's called dreaming. And we have the opportunity to discover our purpose. That's called destiny. You have an opportunity to discover, discover your purpose. You're made on purpose with a purpose. Do you believe that? Yes. Let's just say it together. I am made... On purpose, with a purpose. I'm not an accident. My Bible says that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That word fearfully means reverently. Reverently. In other words, God paid attention when he was making you. You were created on purpose with a purpose. The Bible says he set the boundaries and the times in which men and women were to live. God chose you to live in this time frame. He chose you. There's a purpose and a mission for your life. Say this with me. My history, my history. is not my destiny. Well, oh, aren't you glad with that one, man? Next slide. My history is not my destiny. So we're talking about David. We're talking about David. You know, in order to move forward... Okay, it's, it's a story that we're, you should be familiar with, even if you've never really read it. You've certainly heard of it. David and Goliath. Anybody not heard of that story? Okay, so we're going to talk about that this morning. David moved forward into something, and he moved forward into what God had put over his life. But in order for him to move forward, he had to face a lot of obstacles, and in this case, a giant. So here's the story. The story with David begins in 1 Samuel chapter 16. And here's what's going on in this time period of time in history. God is trying to work among this nation of Israel, and he's trying to work among them. And, and they had asked for a king, and God gave them a king in the, in the manner in which they wanted. He, get, he was a good-looking, tall, handsome, rugged individual, but he was very, Saul was very narcissistic. He thought the world existed for himself. And so everything Saul did was for him. 
And in doing so, he forgot the Lord and he went away from the Lord. And so God says, I'm going to choose for myself a king who is after my own heart. I want someone who wants me. There's a key to destiny right there. God will give you what you, he will elevate you. He will give you things if you want him. And when you realize it's not about you. And so in this story, God sends the prophet, the book is named 1st and 2nd Samuel, is named after a prophet named Samuel. And Samuel actually came about because Samuel's mother asked for a son. So there it is. She said, Lord, if you will give me a son, I will give him back to you. And so the Lord gave, uh, Hannah it was her name, gave her a son who she named Samuel, which means asked of God. So Samuel's name actually means asked of God. And he was the first prophet in the Old Testament. Before the prophets, there was something called judges, which that's another story. But Samuel was the first prophet. He was the first seer, the first one who would see on behalf of the Lord and speak for the, for the people. And so, so first and second Samuel is God, is God speaking through Samuel in order to bring the, the, the people of God into right alignment. And so Samuel really liked Saul. Samuel really wasn't into David too much. He was really into Saul. Because Saul had it all going on, man. Saul drove the right chariot. Saul wore the right clothes. Saul had the good hair. You know, when everybody saw Saul going, they were like, oh, there's Saul. So Saul had everything going for him by external appearances. David didn't have a lot going for him from, from the standpoint of external appearances. But what David had going for him was the right heart. And so God is basically over Saul because Saul continues to reject his ways. And so he says, I want you to go to the house of Jesse, that's David's father, and I want you to go there and there's going to be one of his sons that you're going to anoint, pour oil over, and that anointing, he's going to be marked of heaven and he's going to be the future king. So Samuel goes to the house of Jesse and he says, hey, line up your sons, good news. God's going to choose a son from among your kings, or among your sons. And so Jesse lines up all of his sons and the first one is the tall, good-looking one. And Samuel goes, surely this is the Lord's anointed. And the Lord goes, nope, not him. And down the line he goes, not him, not him, not him, not him. And he gets to the end of the line, there's no more sons. And he goes, do you have any other sons? And how'd you like to be this person? How'd you like to be David? When your father goes, oh yeah, there's David. Oh yeah, the one, yeah, he's out in the field. And they like, go get him. And so you imagine David's out in the field. He's taking care of his father's sheep. He comes into the house and there's, you know, all of his brothers are there and there's some dude in a robe standing there with a horn of oil. It's kind of like, what's going on here? Then the Lord goes, it's this one. And Samuel goes, kneel on the ground. And so David's like, okay. Kneels on the ground. He pours a horn and oil over him and he declares him, you're going to be Israel's next king. That's quite an encounter, isn't it? You go from the field and you all of a sudden, boom, here it is. So David, it says, here it is, where Samuel says, the Lord says, this is the one, anoint him. So David stood there among his brothers, and Samuel took the flask of oil that he had brought, and he anointed David with oil. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day, then Samuel returned to Ramah. So what's going on here? David is a guy who's forgotten by his father. David was diminished among his brothers. His brothers looked at him and said, no way. Least likely to succeed. Okay? And not only that, Samuel wasn't impressed. It doesn't even say Samuel didn't even, have a, didn't even have a bologna sandwich with him. You know what I'm saying? He didn't even stay for lunch. Samuel anointed him. He's like, I'm out of here. That's the best God can do. Well, we'll see how that works out. And he left. A lot of you, you know, this is what you have to understand about God's economy, is that God is not looking for the best dressed. He's not looking for the most impressed. He's not looking for the ones in whom the world would say, that's the one. He's not looking for that. 
He's looking to the one whose hearts are fully his. The Bible says his eyes roam to and fro, looking over the earth to find the one whose hearts are fully his. Why? So that the Lord may show himself strong. It's not about externals. It's about internals with the Lord. You know, and that's one of the first barriers you got to get around. And sometimes we diminish ourselves and we think, well, God could never use a person like me or there's no hope for me. You don't understand. I'm the least in my father's house. I didn't even have a family growing up. My brothers, they all they all all successful. All my brothers got all of these wonderful things happening in their lives or my family does. And I don't have anything going for me. Listen, if you got Jesus, you got everything you need, everything you need. If you're willing to, you know, there was a quote. I keep quoting this. It was a, a Alabama football program. And there was an article I was reading about their strength coach, and they were working these guys out and how they make the players stronger and all this other stuff. And there was one guy who comes from a very poor family, and he said this. I said it last week. He said, I come from nothing, therefore I'll give everything. Could there be a greater call upon? That's exactly what, like, we come from nothing. We come from nothing. Therefore, let's give him everything. Jesus is the greatest opportunity ever presented to humanity. It's not just the forgiveness of sins. It's the utter transformation of a life to take you not only from survival, but to take you into a level of success and to bring your life into a level of significance. I'm not interested in survival. I'm not even interested in success. I want significance. I want my life to matter. I want to achieve something in this world that brings him glory and brings him honor. And you all should too, because he gives you that opportunity. Life had tried to define David, but Jesus had other plans. Is anybody here? Has life tried to define you? Jesus has got other plans. I know the plans I have for you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. That's his plan for you. What does that look like? Well, press into that and you'll start discovering it. Life wants to put you on your own agenda. It's a big thing the Lord's been dealing with me on, so I've been saying it a lot. False IDs. Life wants to give you a fake ID. <laughs> Your family wants to tell you who you are. Your neighbors want to tell you who you are. Society wants to tell you who you are. And sometimes you want to tell yourself who you are. Jesus wants to tell you an entirely different story. He's got an entirely different story for your life. And guess what? It's better and bigger than anything anybody else has for you, including you. You think you got a plan? You don't have a plan. He's got a much bigger plan for you. Much bigger. And you see it over and over again in the scriptures. When they even thought that Jesus Thomas had given up hope. He'd given up hope. He said, unless I see the prints of the nails, unless I put my hand in his side, I won't believe. He'd given up hope. And Jesus shows up and says, here, put him in here. And his message to Thomas was, it wasn't that you didn't have a vision, Thomas. The problem with your vision wasn't big enough. You thought I was going to do this, but I was doing something far more surpassing than what you could ask or think. That's the issue what he did with Thomas. You see it over and over again. You see when he confronts the prophets. And some of the prophets are going, Lord, you're not doing anything. He said, if I told you what I was actually doing, your ears would tingle. If I told you exactly where all this is leading and where I actually want to go, your ears would tingle. Your ears would burn because you'd be so freaked out at what it is that I actually want to do. You say, well, why doesn't God reveal that plan? Do you know why? Because he's looking for faithfulness in the first things. If you will not be faithful in the first things, you will not be given more. Those who are faithful with little will be entrusted with much. We have to be faithful in the first things. He'll show you shadows or highlight reels of your life or who you are, where you're supposed to be. And you'll be like, wow, man, how am I going to get there? Be faithful in the first things. 
David had to be faithful in the first things. David wanted the heart of God. That's the idea. Jesus said, I found a king who was after my heart. And everybody goes, oh, gee, David, I was taught this when I was growing up. You know, David wanted to be like God. No, David wanted the heart of God. What are you saying? What are you doing? What matters to you? Not what matters to me. What do you want? Not what do I want. That mattered to David. It's like, well, I'm going to, David had a heart just like God's. Well, no, David had a heart that was after, it was a pursuit of the heart of God that, it, that elevated David. You can be elevated too if you pursue the heart of God. What does he care about? What does he want? And that's an issue. That's a question. David wanted the heart of God. So here we go in Samuel 17. It says, now the Philistines had gathered their forces for war. So the Philistines were the mortal enemies of the Israelite people. And so they lived on the coast and Israel lived in the mountains. And so the Philistines came to confront Israel, the people of God, right? Giants will come to confront you, Christian, right? Sometimes you don't even have to look for the giant. The giant's going to come and find you and beat on your door, or stand in the street and proclaim himself towards you or against you, right? God wants giant slayers. So this Goliath, this big, huge guy with six fingers and six toes, that's a whole other story, came out. And he was a giant of a man, nine feet tall, wearing a bronze helmet, excuse me, and a coat of armor that weighed 125 pounds. So the guy's a monster. He had leggings and he slung a huge bronze javelin on his back with a spearhead alone that weighed 15 pounds. That's about that big, right? And a soldier with a large shield was always walked in front of Goliath. So Goliath had an armor bearer and he's this monster guy and he's coming out and he's confronting the people of God. Next slide, please. David had had encounters with God. David was able to confront the giant because he had had encounters with God. So you got this monster giant coming out there going, you Israelites, you guys are a bunch of wimps. You don't have anything. Come down here and fight me if you think you're so strong. And nobody would go. Nobody went. They were all shaking and afraid. And David, lowly David, his father, the one who forgot about him, calls him in and says, he didn't forget about his other three sons who were in the war. He sent to war. He says, listen, I'm concerned about my three sons. So David, I want you to go take some food to them. And so David took some food to the army. And when he went there, he found a giant mocking the people of God. Well, David didn't just look at this and say, this, this giant is mocking the people. This giant is mocking the destiny of God's people. And this giant is actually, and in turn, mocking the destiny. He's mocking God himself. And so David was saying, well, I'll go out and fight him. And people oftentimes wonder, well, what made David so courageous? Because David had had encounters with the Lord before. David's out taking care of his father's sheep, right? Solitude is a wonderful thing for a Christian. It's a wonderful thing because you get a chance to counter God. You get a chance to draw from the Lord. And that's what David did. Most of the Psalms were written, I guarantee you, while David was out in the field with the sheep. When I consider the heavens and the handiwork, and I consider all of the things that you were done. Well, how, why would he write that? Because he's laying out in a field with a bunch of sheep, and there's nothing but stars in the sky, and he's probably laying there going, wow, God made all this. Who am I in light of what you've done? David would understand, and he began to relate his life in context of who God was. He had had encounters. Say this with me. Encounter? encounter. Come on. Encounter, encounter. Changes, everything. changes everything. What is an encounter, and why does it matter? When you encounter Jesus, it's called, there's times, there's time in the Bible and in the Greek, it's kairos and chronos. Kairos is a moment when everything changes. 
An encounter is a moment when the timeline of your life shifts. When you encounter Jesus, the entire timeline of your life shifts. An encounter with Christ, an encounter with the Lord, is more than one, a more than a singular event. We know it from salvation. That when we encounter Jesus and we give our lives to him, we surrender and we receive his spirit, we become a new creation. Old things pass away, behold, all things become new. Kairos, timeline of chronos, shifts. Chronos is time marching on. Chronological. That's where we get the word chronological. It's chronos. And so kairos is a moment of change. Do we encounter Jesus? It's a moment of change that shifts the chronos, shifts the timeline. When, when Samuel encountered David in his father's house and pronounced a prophetic word over him and released the anointing, which is symbolic of the Holy Spirit, when that happened, the chronos of David's life shifted. The kairos shifts the chronos. If you want the chronological events of your life to change, you need an encounter. Not just salvation, Christian. There's got to be something else. There's got to be another moment of change that happens in your life. And there's many of them. Many of them. And we'll talk a little bit about it before it's over. I'll, I'll take it there. But he had had encounters with Jesus. He had had encounters because he had faced a giant. He not only was going to face a giant, he had fought a lion and he had fought a bear. And so he saw God work in other areas. He had experienced the Lord and the presence of the Lord in the fields. He knew the Lord was real. He wasn't worshiping a, pi a picture on a wall. He wasn't worshiping a dusty family Bible that he kept on a shelf. He was worshiping a living God. He wasn't worshiping a God as a spectator. He was worshiping a God as a participant. This is what defines his life. Most of us, we worship pictures on a wall. This is Christianity today. Jesus is just a picture on a wall. He's a dusty family Bible, or we worship him as an observer. He's not into observation. He calls us into being part of it. We're not observers. We're participants, right? Do you believe that? Yeah, anybody want to participate with Jesus? Huh? He has given us great and precious promises so that we can partake of his divine nature. When we press into his promises, we draw from his divine nature. Destiny requires some things. If you want destiny and you want to move forward, if you're tired of your life spinning in circles, you have got to change some things. Huh? I'm waiting for my ship to come in. Well, go down to the dock. Huh? Most people say, I'm waiting for my ship to come in. Well, you got to get up and go down to the dock, man. You know? Get up and go. We have to, we, destiny requires some things. It requires that you face giants. We may not face a nine-foot dude carrying a spear, but you're going to face giants of your identity. You're going to face giants in the way that you think. You're going to face giants of fear. You're going to face giants of failure in what you do once you've confronted these things. Where do you go from here? Those are giants. We're going to have to face giants. And in David's life, the biggest, one of the biggest giants, we'll go through a few of these, one of the biggest giants was delay. We think in the Bible that when Jesus says something, it instantly happens. Like even with Paul, right? We thought, oh, Paul, you know, he, got, he met Jesus on the Damascus Road, and he immediately began to proclaim the gospel. And that's not what the Bible says. He went three years into the desert before he actually started to teach the word. So there was a period in between, between when God encountered him. He said, I went three years into Damascus, and I went over there and until I learned and I understood the things that had just happened to me. And once I processed the things that started to happen to me, then I went forward. David, it was about four years after the anointing. So here it is. Watch this. Dramatic moment, encounter, oils all over him. Bam! I'm going to be the king of Israel. And all of his brothers walk out of the room. His dad walks out of the room. Samuel leaves. And, Samuel, and David's probably standing there going, hey, did anybody get that? Did anybody hear what just happened? It was like crickets, crickets, crickets. And so then David had to go back out into the field. And it was about four years later before he confronted Goliath. 
What do you think David was doing for four years? What would you be doing? I'd be thinking a lot about what the Lord said to me. I'm going to be king. What does it mean to be king? I don't know. This is interesting. What's going to happen when I get... So I guarantee you, he started building that stuff up in his heart. You say, how do you know this? Because he ran out and faced a giant that nobody else would. About 10 to 14 years after Jesus received the anointing, or excuse me, David received the anointing, he became king. So just imagine this. He is anointed with oil approximately the age of 16, somewhere in that range. So he's like a 16-year-old receiving an anointing. Some of us are like, oh, God, help our children. You know, can you imagine if your kid actually got that? You'd be like, oh, man. But anyway, so he's 16. He's anointed and proclaimed to be king. Four years later, he's facing the giant. So he's around 20. Then about 14 years after he received the anointing, so he's around 30, when he receives the anointing, he becomes king. You get anointed. You have a destiny's calling over your life, and it takes 14 years for it actually to come to pass. That's a giant of delay. Many of you have had things spoken over your life, and you're thinking, when's it going to happen? There's a period of, there's an interlude in between what God says and what God does. And people often understand why. Why are there delays? Why does God create delays? Sometimes the delay is circumstantial. The world or the environment into which he's calling you is not ready for you yet. Israel was told to go into the promised land, but God had to wait a period of time until the land could support that many people. He waited. And there were some other things that were going on in there, but God told the people, there's a delay because of this. There's a delay sometimes in your life because the atmosphere has not been prepared for you. You may be ready, but the atmosphere, the angle, the positioning of everything is not ready for you yet. So sometimes there's a delay circumstantially. The person or the, or the environment has to be prepared. Other times there's delays that, 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 are, are, that happen and we don't move forward because either there's the circumstances haven't aligned themselves yet or there's a choices that we're making. So many times people get discouraged and we make choices that are off of our destiny. You can always come back into that lane, but you're causing yourself delays. Abraham's a big one on that. God said, get out of your father's house and get out of his country and I want you to go to a land that I show you. And he didn't do it. He didn't do it. He didn't leave his father. He went with his, we went with his father to another city called Haran. The literal name of the city means delay. So he went to a city called Delay. He chose it. And so he had to wait till his father died because he wouldn't leave his father, even though the Lord had already told him, this is what I want you to do, Samuel, but Sam, or excuse me, uh, Abraham. But Abraham made the choice to stay in light of what God had told him. And so that choice caused him delay. Is anybody here? Right? We make choices that cause us delay. People say, I want to get married. Well, you, may, you may be making choices with the wrong people or the wrong person that's going to cause you delay. I see people all the time. It's like this, you know, you can tell this is not God's will for them, but they say, no, this is the person, this is the person, this is the person. They're convinced, whatever it is, and they make a choice into an, into an, an environment, and not only do they delay, they waste all of that time. Eventually, the relationship explodes or implodes, and now they've got a period of time, another delay, because now they've got to heal their heart before they can move forward happens all the time. Not just with people, but it happens in circumstances. It happens with destiny. God says, go this way. You go, no, I want to go that way. God says, go this way. You go, no, I want to go that way. And the Lord goes, go ahead. Go ahead. And he waits till you come to the end of yourself. Favorite verse, one of my favorite verses in Isaiah says, I, I would call you to myself, but you said, no, I'm going to run. And the Lord says, so run you shall, but the what pursues you will be faster than you. And you will find yourself at the end, standing on a hill like a pole, trembling. 
naked, exposed. Your choice to run from what I'm calling you to do, this is what it's going to end up as. And the Lord puts a word on top of that. So when you find yourself here, he says to the people, to all of us, not just, to the, not just the person he's speaking to, know that the Lord will wait that he may be gracious to you. He's saying, you want to run, so run. But what will pursue you is going to overtake you. This is not your path. This is not your lane. And when you find yourself trembling on a hill, exposed with nothing around you, remember that I'm waiting for you so that I can be gracious to you. We can do a short track. Some of us need to believe God for a supernatural acceleration to overcome our mistakes. Some of us are behind the curve in what God would actually be wanting to do with our lives but we've made some retarded, excuse me for that word, we've made some foolish, stupid choices along the way. We've made choices that don't make sense. And because of that, we've caused a delay in our lives. And we need to ask God for an acceleration. The way that we think causes it, the lack of courage. Sometimes the opportunity is presented to us and we're too chicken. Can I get a witness? Right? Let's just free ourselves this morning. You're a chicken by nature. Okay? You are. We think we're courageous. You're not. You're a chicken. You are. That's why the disciples asked for boldness, because they knew they were chickens. Right? You're a chicken. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is the absence of self. Fear is always present when courage is required. Always. But the question is, 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 the, is are you willing to deny yourself and, and go into these things more than you are willing to yield to, to, to fear? doesn't happen. You have to press into these things. This is what causes us to move forward. These are the things in our lives that cause you to stay as you are. I am not interested in staying as I am, nor should you be. You know what the good news is? You don't have to stay as you are. That's good news, man. You say, what's well, going pretty good? Well, it can be better. It can be better. Next slide, please. You say, it's going really bad. Well, guess what? It can be better. Second thing he had to face is disapproval. Here's another one, the fear of people. Everybody say this with me, the fear of people. people. Mm -hmm. So we have the fear of failure. So here's something that you need to root in your heart, because I deal with this my whole life, and I've told myself this, and so you can, I'm going to help you with it. Say this with me, the fear of failure, fear of failure. is always, always greater than the desire for gain. Therefore, I must confront my fear of failure. You need to understand that your fear of failure will always be greater than your desire for gain. Fear of failure will always be bigger than what, you, what it is that you want. The fear of losing, the fear of not succeeding, all that stuff. Well, what if something goes wrong? That's why most people keep their lives only in the dream state. Because it's safe to just dream. Because a dream doesn't require any responsibility out of you. The minute you step into the dream, now it requires responsibility. The minute you step towards it, now it requires something of you. That's why most people just leave it out there as a dream and they never do anything with it. They never do anything with it. Most people never, draw, never drive into their heart or drive into the spirit to find out what God is actually saying to them or where he wants them to be or go. And then once they do get it, then we have another cast of people that actually have a word over their life, but they don't want to do anything for it because they're afraid. Paul said, if I, was a fear, if I feared men, I would, could not be a servant of Christ. Most people want to be accepted. We want everybody to love us. So you know, if you're going to be accepted, you can never be exceptional. Exceptional people are not liked by everyone. I'm working on this one myself, so it's easy for me to say, but I'm working on this one myself. Exceptional people are not liked by everyone. 
you know, you want everybody to like you. It's normal. I'm sure Jesus wanted everybody to like him. But he knew, if I'm, because he's put on this planet, he's God in the flesh, to be exceptional. And people didn't like him. People were offended by him. He didn't even make apologies for people that were offended by him. Read your Bible. It's two different instances in the Gospels where the disciples were like, Hey, um, uh, Jesus, um, I know you're focused on heavenly things, but we just want to let you know that uh, they were offended at what you said. Jesus like, cool, moved right on. Then there's another one that said they were offended, and Jesus said if they're offended by that, then they're really going to be offended by what I do next. Well, two instances in the scripture that it clearly tells us that Jesus was offensive to people. The Bible actually calls him a rock of offense. Did you know that? He's a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. No, he's fairy Jesus. He's just loving everyone, sprinkling fairy dust on him, and he's all about love. No, Jesus confronts your pride. He confronts your sin. He confronts who you think you are and challenges you to become who you were created to be. And he says, deal with it. Deal with it. What do you want to do with it? You want to stay there? Then stay there. But if you don't, I'm going to the mountain. It's up to you. This is who he is. Who falls upon the rock will be broken, but whom the rock falls upon will be crushed. It's inevitable. You have to deal with the rock. And the rock is Jesus. So, Lord, deal with me. Deal with me. Deal with me. We get trapped in our own paradigms, man. We fight against the very thing that God is doing in our life. And like he said to Paul, it's not easy to kick against the goads. I'm wanting something from your life, Paul. And Paul's like going, ah, he's going, he's kicking against the thorn bush. He said, go with the process, Paul. Go with the process. Yeah. Are you here? (laughs) We need to go with the process, man. God is calling for a church to rise. He is calling for a church and a people to rise. He's calling for it. We need to give him what he paid for. He didn't pay, pay for average. Hmm? He didn't pay for average. He didn't pay for common. He paid for exceptional. And he calls his people there. He will cause you to ride upon the high places. Is that a promise or a poem? It's a promise. We need to stop looking at the things of God as poems, and we need to start taking them as promises. And we need to press into them and believe that God not only has this for me, he has it for my life, and he has it for all who would... He had disapproval. Who do you think you are? You ever heard that? Huh? I'm going to start a counseling ministry that helps underprivileged children. Who do you think you are? Oh, that's nice, dear. You just go and do that. You just go and help yourself out there and someday in the sweet by and by. But you know it's going to be hard. Oh, where are you going to get the money for that? Do you really feel that you're qualified to do that? Do you know how many voices are going to bombard you? Do you have any idea? Step into destiny and look at how many voices start to bombard you. They're going to bombard you. Goliath bombarded them. Boom, boom, boom. David shows up at the camp. He not only has Goliath bombarding him, he's got his brothers bombarding him. His own household. David, what are you doing here? We know why you're here. You've just come out to watch watch the battle. Go home. You're too immature. Go home. David said, what have I to do with you? Is there not a cause? Is there not a purpose that's greater than all of us here? That's what I'm here for. I'm here for the purpose that's greater than my life. What are you here for? (laughs) We should ask ourselves that. What am I here for? Is there not a cause? Am I here to watch the spectacle or am I here to get in the fight? Am I here to get in the game? God would have you get in the game. And Saul had a voice. Saul's in the tent going, David, put my armor on. David, you can't be like you. 
You're too unique. You're a little eclectic, dude. You're running around like a robe with a rag tied on your head and you got a slingshot in your hand. You can't fight that guy that way. You got to be like me, David. If you're not like me, you can't go out there to the fight. David said, I can't wear what you wear, Saul. I have to be who I am. Can I get a witness? You may not do it like everybody else. Maybe you do, but maybe you don't. We value generic in our culture, don't we? Huh? I mean, come on. We are a franchise nation. We got Starbucks on two sides of the street. Starbucks on this side, Starbucks on that side, because we love generic. Nothing wrong with Starbucks. I like their coffee. You know, a little too strong every now and then, but, you know, nonetheless. But the, my point is, is that we love it generic. We have little or no value for the eclectic. We have little or no value for anybody or anything that's a little outside of the box because we like it all nice and clean, all nice and tidy, all nice and packaged. As part of a church, everybody wore the same thing. If you were in leadership, bless God, you wore the same thing. If you walked in there, everybody would have khaki pants on and a polo shirt. Dun, 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 khaki pants, polo shirt, because they liked it generic. Generic. Everything's generic, across the board. Jesus doesn't like it generic. I don't know if you're aware of that. Have you seen what he does with creation? Different kinds of trees. Just, I mean, just look around the room. Are we all the same? Different sizes, different hair, different skin tones, a whole spectrum of people. You, say this with me, I have permission to be who the Lord has created me to be. The voice of suppression to not allow you to be who you are. You have permission. And in becoming who you are, you are going to make mistakes. You can, we're, you're going to make mistakes. So give yourself permission to make mistakes. i got to move fast. I'm getting too into this. <laughs> then he had disapproval. Then he had discouragement. The circumstances weren't favorable. Okay? Ecclesiastes says, if you wait for the perfect condition, you will never harvest. Mm-hmm. You need to put that one on your mirror. If you wait for the perfect condition, you will never harvest. We're waiting for the perfect condition. You've got to go with what you got, people. You gotta go with what you got. We want everything perfect, everything nice and tidy. Read your Bible. Everything God did was not in a perfect condition. <laughs> Wasn't perfect. How'd you like to be Gideon going out into a fight with 350 people against about 10,000? Would you like to be that guy? Would those conditions be perfect for you? And better yet, you don't even have swords. You got a lamp and you got a, and you got a stick. And so they were to break the lamp and go, the sword of the Lord and Gideon. And that was how they were to fight. And the Lord said, when you break the lamp and you shout, I'm going to fight the fight for you. You know, what happens if you break the lamp and you shout and they all come rushing at you and they got swords? I mean, that's not really a perfect condition. Moses was pushed between a rock and a hard place. Not a perfect condition. God said, stretch out your stick. Not a perfect condition. If you wait for the perfect conditions, you will seldom harvest. Another favorite verse of mine in the Bible says, Isaac sowed in the time of famine. He did what? He sowed seed in the time of famine, and he reaped a hundredfold. He gave when he didn't have anything to give. He gave from the little that he had. Was that perfect condition? I don't think so. I don't think so. If you wait for the perfect, this is what the world tells you. The kingdom does not speak that language. Well, it's got to be perfect. Everything's got to be perfect. Got to pick the perfect day to get buried. Got to pick the perfect husband. Got to pick the perfect wife. Got to pick the perfect situation, the perfect everything. Everything's got to be perfect, and if it's not perfect, don't do it. That's not your Bible. Just, it just isn't. We go with what we have. Who are you looking at? 
What you feed grows, what you starve dies. Who are you looking at and who are you listening to? What voices are you hearing? What voices are you, are you giving yourself to? If you feed upon that, that's what will grow in you. If you starve those things and feed upon the other, that's what will grow in you. Say it with me. What I feed grows. Come on, you guys need a little more enthusiasm than that. What I feed grows and what I starve will die. Yes, it's true. Next slide, please. How do you move forward? Number one, you need an encounter. So here we, here we have our issues, and now where do we go with this? Okay, We have to have an encounter. Nothing, say it with me, nothing, nothing changes, changes without encounter. Nothing. It's just wishful thinking. You need an encounter. You need salvation. You need to become born again. If you want your life to change, we again, we don't, think, we don't intellectually think about Jesus. We give our lives to him. Born again, born of his spirit. To the Christian, he needs revelation. You need something to be revealed to you. What's right, what's wrong, which way to go, whatever it is, you need revelation. That's an encounter. Obedience to the known things. When you're obedient, you know, you know what happens? The Bible says if you're willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. When you're obedient, you'll see something happen. That God's word is true and you'll have an encounter that, wow, this stuff actually works. This is actually true. Obedience produces encounter. Some Christians are calling out for encounter. You know what the God's calling out for? Obedience. Can you be obedient? I can't cause an encounter to happen to you because you won't do the very basic thing I'm telling you to do. Obedience will cause an encounter. A prophetic word. A word spoken over your life. Something declared over your life. Whether it's through prayer, whether it's through the Spirit, or whether somebody on a prophetic team just says, this is what I see for you. This is the direct, I feel like God is saying this about your life. And here's what we do. We take the word and we just kind of rock back and forth and go, woo, toodaloo, I got a little bell from Jesus. Ding, 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 ding. I share with you guys this story. I share with you with how, how it works. Okay, the last two words I had all year last year, and I had a vision from God last year. I had a purpose. God spoke a purpose over me when we were fasting and praying, and it related to, I'm not going to get into it, but he gave me a direction for the church and what he wanted. And so we start going down this way, and then I get two prophetic words from two different people in two different states, and both of them said to me, you're a builder, God's called you to build things. Well, I, duh, you know, I kind of felt that way, and I believed that. But clearly, and it would be, go, well, what are you building? Well, I'm building this church. No, I started taking that word because I believe that the word that God speaks is a word in season, and it's a word that is fresh. And so I said, what is it that you're telling me to build? The word over my life is builder. So I didn't just go, ding-a-ling-a-ling, ding-ding-ding-ding-ding, I'm a builder, Bob the Builder. I didn't do that. I took the word and pressed into it to find out what the Father is saying for me to build or for this church to build. You understand that? And attached to the prophetic word are your resources. You want to hear the story? No? You guys got to go? I got to go. I'll tell you the story real quick. Okay, last January we're fasting and praying. Um, no meats, no sweets, no fermented grains. We're doing a Daniel fast. So we did Daniel fast for 21 days. Amongst that fast, the Lord tells me, do a school. He said, build a school and let the school lead the church. I'm like, okay. So we get together, the board and the elders, and we start talking. We're going to feel like the Lord's telling us to build a school. So the only thing I can see us doing realistically at this point is to do a charter school. So we're all like, yeah, 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 let's do a charter school. So we start looking into doing a charter school. And we realize it's going to take us about three years to do a charter school, about 18 months to write the charter, get the charter approved, and then probably another year to get the school actually up and running. But we're like, okay, the Lord's told us to build a school, so we're going to build a school. So we start building a school. About three or four months later, I'm at a conference. I run into a friend of mine who started a school in six months. He didn't start a charter school. He started a Title I school, has it up and running. He started with 20 students. Second year, he had 75. Third year, he had them lined up 
up around the block waiting to get into the school. So he comes, I, I'm telling you this really fast. So I go there, because here, here I am going to charter school. Okay, Lord, you're staying at charter school. Where are we going to get the money? How's this going to work? What's going to happen here? Where are the resources going to come from? But the, condi the conditions weren't perfect, but I pressed into the word and saying, we're just going to go down this lane, and God's going to open the door. Meet with somebody four months later, shows me an entirely different concept than the one that I was thinking of. You see how this works? I'm thinking this, and he reveals to me this. Why? Why did he show me this? Because I was pressing into this. You understand? Because I started moving with what he was telling me, he showed me something different. And when he showed me something different, because I didn't know any better, attached to that are all the resources that you need. And that's a long story. And I could tell you what, what all of this means in the future. But the point is, is when word is spoken over your life, you cannot take it for granted. You cannot. This, people go, does God have a word? All the time. Prophetic word's a dime a dozen. You want a prophetic word? We'll give you one. Easy. God's always speaking. He's always got something to say to you. And it's always good. The question isn't whether the Lord's going to say something to you. The question is, what are you going to do with it once he says it? That's the question. Am I, are you guys here? Yes. <laughs> so we have to encounter it. We have to prophetic word. We have to see here and remember. I'm not getting into that. But then we have to engage. So we need an encounter, and then we need to engage. In the period in between the word and the period in between the destiny, you have to do something. Understand that? So God says you're a builder. God says let the school build the church, lead the church. And I could have went, wow, what a word. Lord says I'm a builder. And he says the school is going to build the church. Do-dee-do-dee-do. Rocking back and forth, watching it all float by me. No, you engage it. You step into what it is that he's saying. In between the word and in between the place that he's calling you, you prepare yourself, Christian. I'm called to preach the gospel to the nations. Really? I heard that three years ago. Did you go to Bible school yet? Nope, but I'm called to preach the gospel to the nation. Well, what do you think? Jesus is going to miraculously give you all this knowledge if you don't prepare yourself? David prepared himself for the giant by facing a lion and a bear. He didn't just show up into that situation blind. You understand that? What has he called you to do? Are you preparing yourself in the direction that he's called you to? Learn, grow, do. See and believe and act like you are. Study leadership. Also study this guy with success. And one of the things he says, it's a bit of a mantra, but there is some truth to it, is he says, if you want to be a success, you must see yourself as a success. You must believe, think, and act and talk as if you're a success. Just a thought. Now, if you want a positive future, you can't have a negative mouth. I'll give you that one. So, uh, yeah. So you have to see yourself. We serve a God who raises the dead and calls what is not as though it were. You've got to start calling things in your life as though it, as though it wasn't. Stop calling it what it is and call it what it's not. Ah, well, it's just this. And no, call it something else. Declare a prophetic future over what you see in your life. Begin to call it out. Dealing with your junk. That's a whole other idea. You've got to confront the issues in your life personally that keep you from moving forward. Whatever that may be. You've got to be gut honest. Brutally honest. Fear. Some people, I meet Christians all the time, they got religious paradigms. They think religiously. They think like Pharisees. They're not going to go anywhere. You're, you're, too, you're, too, you're too like that. Until you confront the way you think, nothing changes. Embrace. Embrace what? Embrace your identity in Jesus. Surround yourself with healthy people. Listen to the right things. What are you feeding on? Just a question. And I'll leave you with this one. I got one more. You are free to be who your past and others say you are. You're free. You don't want to change? Nobody's making you change. Jesus himself will not make you change. You're free to stay as you are. 
Or you're free to become who Jesus has created you to be. Do you believe that? Because it's true. Last slide, I believe. You have to expect. Expect God to meet you. Expect God to do something. David expected Jesus to show up. Why? Because he had seen him show up so many times before. Bus stop waiting and park bench waiting. Anybody know the difference? What's the difference between sitting on a park bench and sitting on a bus stop bench? What's the difference? Huh? You're looking for the bus. When you're sitting on a park bench, you ain't expecting anything to happen. You're surprised. Oh, there's a squirrel. Pigeons. Wow, check it out. But if you're on a park bench, you're looking down the street, you're pacing the street, all that stuff's going on. With the Lord, it's bus stop waiting. We wait with expectancy. We wait with, we expect the Lord to do something according to our faith, so be it unto unto you. Put your faith in practice. Begin to believe God to do something. Believe him, Christian. Will the Son of Man find faith on the earth when he comes? Will he find anybody believing him that he can do anything? Or will he just find case sera, sera, whatever will be, will be? Me, I want to believe God in my generation. <laughs> I want to believe God in my generation. We press into what is yours. We press into who you are called to be. Who are you called to be? Let's start with son and daughter. If you don't know anything beyond that, you're a son and daughter of the living God. Those who receive Christ, they've been given the power to become the sons and children, or the children of God. So let's start with that. So who, what does it mean for you to be the son of, of the son, God to be your father and you to be his son? What does that mean? What does it mean for God to be your father and you to be his daughter? What does that mean? Let's start with that. Start pressing into that. What does it mean? What does he want? Ask the questions. Wrestle with it. Here again is our, I'm going to confront our Western mentality. We want the answers like that. We want to just flip to the back of the book and there's the answer. Jesus doesn't work like that. You know what he makes you do? He makes you wrestle. He makes you wrestle. The hidden things are the Lord's. It is the glory of God to conceal the matter. It is the glory of kings, that's us, and queens, to search the matter out. It's not easy. Anybody can find dirt in a gold mine, Christian. Find the gold. That's the trick. Huh? Find what it is he's saying. Press into the understanding. Combination of gifts, talents, and abilities. This is how we become. We connect our life to something bigger than ourselves. Don't have time for that either. <laughs> we yield our life towards the purpose and we do not quit. Yield your life towards the purposes of God and do not quit. You say you mentioned failure. There's no such thing as failure, Christian. This is how you deal with failure because you can't fail. We fail forward. That's what the Christian does. Failure is nothing more than a lesson for the next opportunity. That's all failure is to the believer. Be not weary in your well-doing, for in due season you might reap. That's not what it says. You will reap. It will come to you. You will have what your father says you can have. You will become who your father says you will become. If you don't quit. If we faint not. It's the only way we fail. Is if we quit. Do you believe that? Yes. Is there any quitters in the room? No. Forward. Faith to move forward. So we'll just close it real quick right here. I'm a little over. God forgive me. <laughs> if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus, the way your timeline and your life changes is by giving your life to Jesus. It's not by knowing about him. It's not by thinking about him and thinking positive thoughts. Those things may have some benefit, but the only thing that can transform you is by surrendering your life totally to Jesus. And so if you're here this morning and you've never done that, we're going to pray together as a group. 
We want to invite you to do that. Just open the door of your heart. You don't have to understand it. Just give yourself to it, and Jesus will meet you right where you are. The Spirit of God will do all the heavy lifting. And let's just pray it out. Just say, Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior, and I need a Savior. I may not understand it, but I choose to believe it. And I open the door of my heart to you, Jesus. And I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me. And I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. And all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. You say, that's it? No, that's the start of it. So we have a prayer team. Um, and if anybody here is with a prayer team, they're going to be over there. It's just a quick in between the services here. If you need prayer for anything, we'll have some people there to pray for you. But I want to bless you one more time. All right? And we have photographs, pictures right after service, right over here. So if you're here for the family pictures, let's do it. And so uh, just there's a sign-up sheet, and we will get you in there. But let me bless you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and give you peace. And forever may you live in his favor. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. All right. God loves you. We love you. Thank you.